Well, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. As you're turning there, in the last couple years as I've read through the Gospels, different times I've tried to make it my intention to get to know and relate to Jesus as the man that he truly is, to personally relate to him and his humanity as, as the God who became man. It's easy to know a lot about Jesus, but not feel like you know the man Christ Jesus. And so last week as we continue to work through this, we've seen that Jesus is a man with ultimate authority, universal command over all things seen and unseen, and we're all here today because of his effectual call in our lives. And so this is big view of Jesus, right? High, holy, he's, he's transcendent, he's mighty, he's not to be trifled with, he's, his words are to be heard and submitted to. But there's also this reality that Jesus is infinite. I mean, he's God, and he's complex, and he can't be reduced to one or two things. In fact, he's the only man that you will ever meet who can be all that you'll ever need in any circumstance, in any situation. He alone bears up all things. And so this morning, we get to see a different side of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, this very personal side of Jesus Christ, a man who you can relate to and who draws near to you. Some of you may remember the Johnny Cash song, Your Own Personal Jesus. I like Johnny Cash. You're learning more about me now. And I, when I first started to hear the song, I got excited. It's got this nice, gritty, bluesy groove to it. I love that kind of music. And then I started listening as your own personal Jesus, and I started to kind of get bow up a little bit. Like, Johnny, what are you saying here? You get to make up Jesus however you want. You get to, like, Make him into your own image, however you like him. But, but no, 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 that's not what he's saying in the song. And I grew to appreciate and value the song more because what Johnny Cash hits at in that song is that Jesus is a man who personally relates to you in your needs. He comes near to you. He draws near to you. He hears you and he gives you what you need in life because he's personal. He's a personal Jesus. And so Mark chapter 1, verses 29 and following, we're going to see that Jesus, very personally, he heals with a touch. He discerns or he knows our needs. He's intimate with his Father. And he gladly takes our place. He gladly takes our place. So Mark 1, 29 to the end of the chapter. Let's read that. And immediately... He left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So here is our Lord. He had this monumental day, and he leaves the synagogue to go to Simon Peter's mother's house, Simon Peter's house with his mother-in-law there, and immediately he's met with more work, more demand on him. And what we see is immediately Jesus heals and restores with a touch. He heals and empowers Simon's mother-in-law with a simple touch. There's this flurry of activity, and he goes into the house, and I don't know about you, but when you walk in your home after a long day, and you're met with an immediate demand, sometimes it's tough. And so they come to him, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Luke, the physician in his gospel, says she had a high fever, so it was something of concern. And just take a look at our Lord. Look what he does. It says he came to her. So he's moved towards the sick. Compassion compels him towards them. So he draws near. And then he took her by the hand. Very personal touch. Tender, expresses love through the warmth of a touch. He's a man who came to people who will bear their infirmities. So get to know the person of Jesus here. Came to her, took her by the hand, and lifted her up. So he doesn't leave her down, but he raises her up on his level. He doesn't make her feel inferior or too low for her, his care. Looks her in the eyes, restores dignity, right? Value and worth. And with a word, according to Luke, but here Mark leaves it blank. The fever leaves her. It's amazing. He could have done this from a distance. We know that from other Gospels. But he came, knelt down, held her hand, lifted her up, and personally caused her fever to leave her. Now, this happened because people told Jesus about the need. And I think there's a call here for us to go to Jesus knowing this is the kind of person that he is. This is the kind of God that he is. Go to him and tell him your needs. Right? Open up and let him hold you by the hand and lift you up and bear your burdens with you. He is here with you in spirit, just as he was there in person. Cast all your cares on the Lord. Why, does Peter tell his hearers? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Tell it to Jesus. This is, should be this, because he's this kind of personal Savior who heals with a touch, it should compel us to consistently, regularly just tell him our needs and trust that he draws near. Trust that he lifts us up. Trust that he restores 
us. You may not have a particular sickness that he's going to heal. You may have a sickness that you've borne for a very long time and he hasn't healed it. That does not mean he won't draw near to you, lift you up, look you in the eye, and speak comfort to you. He's a personal savior. But we all have sin in our heart, don't we? We all have sins that we struggle, temptations that we face, and tell them to Jesus. He draws near. He lifts you up. Draw near to him in prayer. Tell your sins to Jesus. What worries dominate your mind? What things do you lose sleep over and you can't quit thinking about? After a long day of work, Jesus heard a demand and he immediately drew near and healed and restored. So just go to Jesus regularly, consistently with your pain, with your worries, with your anxieties. He, his plan may be to heal you in glory, but he'll give you the grace you need to last until glory, until he takes you home. But he doesn't just simply heal. He's not just going to heal and walk away. What does he do? What does it say? L look at what Peter's mother-in-law does. Verse 31. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. So he doesn't just heal, but our Savior fully restores. So he, he empowers us then for the purpose that he created us for. He gives us the strength we need to serve him and serve others. He fills us with gratitude for his work in our lives, gratitude for his presence and his personal nature, that he's a savior that draws near, and that compels us then to serve. Peter's mother-in-law didn't really need a long time of recovery. She didn't need a window to kind of get her bearings. I mean, she didn't milk the injury. I like to milk injuries a little bit if I can, right? She just rises up, begins to serve her Savior, serve his people. God moves in our hearts, and then that movement leads us to move and serve. As Ephesians says, when Jesus ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to his people, and now he gives us strength, strength to use those gifts. So when the Lord has saved us, we're then moved to deeds of mercy, deeds of grace. We use our gifts to serve the Lord. So if you're wondering, if you're here today and you're on the fence about coming to Jesus, you think, it seems hard. Coming to Jesus seems hard. Following Jesus seems hard. You're right. And if you think, I don't have the strength to follow him, you're right. He will give you what you need. He will give you the strength you need to serve him just as he restored Peter's mother-in-law. So come to Jesus, and in his power, and his hand, his touch, his personal healing, he will restore you and strengthen you to fulfill his purpose in your life. And I'm confident of this because as we continue reading, Jesus discerns our needs. This is the kind of personal savior he is. This next thing is that he discerns our needs. Look at verse 32. 
that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So they, they wait till sun to set because they're fearful about breaking Sabbath commands, about working on the Sabbath. But similar to last week, what we see here is as they come after the sun has set, Jesus' universal authority is on display here, his power. He can command unseen spirits and things. But what I want you to see is that there's a distinction here in the way he's going about it. He's healing the sick and he's casting out demons. Right? You've heard the saying, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Maybe you've heard that saying. Jesus, that makes a terrible counselor. And uh, Jesus is not that kind of savior. He's a personal savior who gets to know and discern and understand your specific needs before he acts in your life. So he's casting out demons and he's healing the sick. And those who are oppressed by demons, he's got this universal authority and power over those unseen things. Those who are sick, he's drawing near to. And he's healing. And he's restoring. He knows particular struggles that each person faced. He doesn't just give blanket applications. He knows and understands you intimately. As Isaiah prophesied he's the wonderful counselor not only does he know exactly what you need he can attend to you in your specific need and he's not going to cast out demons if you're sick he knows what your needs are and then there's this theme through mark of what they've called this messianic secret a secret about the messiah Jesus, the one that was sent. And Jesus is commanding these demons not to speak. So it raises questions. He's going to command the leper not to speak. What is Jesus doing here? I think it's truly rooted in he knows what our needs are. He knows what we need. All right? we're, we're prone to think we know what we need better than Jesus. No way. Right? He gives us what we need and he knows what will get us to glory. So some of that means he's hiding from people at this time what his true identity is. If people start talking about a Messiah, the Jews' Messiah, what will the Roman authorities think? Well, this guy's here for authoritative military purposes. And they may squelch that. Or if you think Jesus is going to let demons announce his kingship, it's not going to happen. Jesus gets to reveal himself to us on his terms. He doesn't let Satan and the minion, his minions in this world determine how Jesus will be revealed. But throughout the book of Mark, you have references consistently to Jesus as the servant, the long-awaited servant, the one who would come and lay his life down, a humble, constrained, restrained kind of service-oriented person. This Messiah is coming not to, he will not uh, squelch or put out a, you know, a wick that's just smoldering. He's not going to break a bruised reed. He's tender. And so if people start to think they know who the Messiah is and say it out loud, there's going to be all these misconceptions about who Jesus is. 
And so he's protecting them from misconceptions about himself because he knows our needs. And what our needs are is that he suffers and dies for us. We need a Messiah that comes and lays his life down and bears the penalty for sin that we deserve. That's going to save us eternally. They would desire momentary relief in this life. We don't need a revolutionary Messiah to overthrow the government here. We don't need someone just to relieve us of pain and suffering in this life. Jesus knows we don't need that. So he keeps his true identity a secret so it's not misunderstood. So we don't expect the wrong things from him. Because Jesus is on the road to the cross. And he's not going to let false ideas abound. For Jesus to have been enthroned and made the, the ruler would have been far too short-sighted at this stage of life. We, we need us, like for us to demand comfort and healing from Jesus right now is just too short-sighted. He kept his identity hidden so that the suffering servant we needed, the one who would die in our place on the cross and consume and absorb the wrath of God that we deserve for our sins, would be fully satisfied in him so that we could know and enjoy God our Father forever into eternity. True and lasting glory with Jesus forever so that momentary sufferings and trials in this life will seem very momentary and short-lived in glory. So he's, he knows what we need and he protects people from misunderstanding his identity. And so Jesus is pressing on. He's this personal savior who heals with a touch, who discerns our needs. And at this point, he's got to be exhausted. He's got to be wiped out because he's a man. So he, he goes to sleep. And the next personal thing you see here about Jesus is that he's intimate with his father. Look at verses 35 and following. In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also. That's why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. Now this is a consistent pattern for Jesus. At major times in his life, transitional times, significant moments, he would precede them by prayer or be found praying in the midst of them at the baptism, transfiguration, choosing the disciples, enthronement when they attempt to enthrone him, when he's uh, tempting it in the garden, he's in prayer. But he knew what was happening around him and what Jesus would do was then Focus on time with his father. Focus on time with his father. Following Jesus is hard. I said that earlier. It's important for us to note that walking with Jesus, Jesus walking with his father was hard too. It took effort for him. He made diligent communion. He sought diligent communion with his father. He, he pursued this. A holy watchfulness over his life characterized Jesus. What he said and did, what he thought and felt were things he was aware of and careful about. He maintained perfection 
and godliness through the use of prayer in the presence of his father. His father whom he had been with in eternity past and whom he will be with for eternity future, he delved into time with him to maintain godliness, to maintain righteousness, to walk in truth. And that makes us think we should too. We have the lust of the flesh to battle. He did not have a sinful nature. He was holy and undefiled. But Jesus prioritized presence with his Father. And the result of this is that now we have access to the Father through the death of Jesus Christ. And he died in order to bring us to God, 1 Peter 3.18 says. And so we get to go to God. This is a joy. I, I don't want you to feel guilty like, oh, now I need to spend more time with the Father. That's probably true. It's easy to feel guilty about that. But motivate with glory. Motivate with beauty. Go to God and find joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. And in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So go to the Father and find the pleasure of being in the presence of the Father just as Jesus did. Go to the Lord and find strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So, so go to the Lord and find joy in his presence and strength in his presence. Go to him and find refuge in times of trouble. Refuge. Go to him and find peace. Your, your life is disordered. You're struggling to maintain focus on what truly matters. You're not handling things right. Go to the Lord and allow the God of peace and his presence in your life to fill you with his peace. Pray often. Pray deeply. Pray consistently. It's not unholy to schedule time to pray. There's nothing unholy about that. There's this little spot in between Dollar General and Papa John's in LaGrange, Kentucky. And I know those guys probably know exactly where it is. That I often pulled into because it was right in front of my neighborhood. And on those hard days, I parked there for a few minutes before I drove home. Just in case, like Jesus, I was met with demands when I walked in the door and I didn't always respond like Jesus. Like, it's okay to set aside time to pray. That's a good thing. Plan for this diligent communion with your Father. And that's what Jesus does. He goes to the Father, and in his time with his Father, he's reoriented to what he's called to do. That's what time with our Father does. It reminds us of what we're called to do. And so Peter comes to him, like, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. I just know that Peter was fired up. Like, you're neglecting people, Jesus, you know? I don't know. But because our Lord had dialed it in, he was with his father. He's not controlled by the tyranny of the urgent. The whims of the people are not going to set his course for life. Immediate needs in Jesus' life don't create demand. So different from us. His primary calling dictated the demand. Crowds, enthusiasm, excitement, that's not what Jesus was after for success. What Jesus was after was faithfulness. Faithfulness to his Father. He knew what we need, what we needed. He was intimate with his Father, and he says, let's go to the next towns. That's where I need to preach. I need to preach. And so Jesus goes throughout Galilee preaching, Preaching, and as much as I would love to go on a long discourse about the glories of preaching, because I'm a preacher, we know that through preaching, 
Eyes are open to see Christ. Sinners are awakened. Your questions are answered. Inquirers are informed. Saints are built up and encouraged. Minds are renewed. Thoughts go back to Christ and heavenly things. Christianity extends to the ends of the earth, to lost and dying people. How will they hear if they don't preach? And how will they preach if they're not sent? So praise God, Charlie and Danielle, we will continue to pray for you as you go. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords was a preacher, and his kingdom continues to advance through preaching Jesus himself crucified. But he's not this impersonal preacher, proclaiming from the mount and then descending into the depths and shadows where no one can touch him, he's off limits. It's not Jesus. So he's preaching throughout all of Galilee and the synagogues, and yet then he's dwelling among the sick and the dying as well. And this is remarkable. I've been most excited about this part of the text all week because this is where Jesus takes our place. Look at verse 40, please. And a leper came to him. Just pause for a minute. This is a striking moment in the life of Jesus because leprosy was terrible and terrifying. If you were a leper, in many ways you were worse than dead. It was a broad category for many skin diseases, some far worse than others. But the worst forms could so damage people's nerves that they wouldn't feel, they couldn't feel the sores and they would rub or scratch themselves off and pieces would fall off. They are called it rotting by inches at times. And I cannot imagine the pain of this. Some forms were completely incurable, but, but that even the pain and the sickness of it wasn't, in a lot of ways, the worst part. What was the worst part of it was that they were completely set off from society. They were isolated. They were deemed unclean by Jewish law. So just imagine, you can't go home. You can't be around your family. You can't go to work. You can't go to worship. And then, not only that, when people approached you, you were supposed to say, unclean. I'm unclean. I mean, how degrading. And you would feel so isolated. And you would long for the time when the skin disease would go away and the priest would pronounce you clean. You longed for this. So Jewish law cut them off because they were unclean. They had to keep the camp clean. And then there's this awful stigma attached to you if you're a leper. Assuming that many said this is like God's judgment on them. And 50 paces, roughly 50 paces, was the expected distance to stay away from people. It's probably 25 to the back wall. So double it. I mean, you're talking, if you were sitting under a tree and someone walked under that tree after you left, there was concern. Their ceremonial, ceremonial cleanliness was in question. No one touched a leper. And lepers approached no one. Except here. This leper comes up to Jesus. And him approaching Jesus 
would have called into, Je- called into question Jesus' cleanliness. And the leper displays great faith because he doesn't question Jesus' ability to heal, does he? He doesn't say, can you heal me? No, he says, if you will, Jesus, if you will, you will make me clean. If you will. It's a cry of true faith. But not only true faith, humble faith. He's kneeling, he's begging. This is the approach to to Jesus we should have, right? Humble faith. Humble faith, Jesus, we need you. And something happens inside of Jesus. Look at verse 41. Moved with pity. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand. Now, this moved with pity can also be translated full of anger and furious. And it's actually the same word that Jesus that described Jesus when, when Lazarus was dead. And he came and he was moved with pity. And I think the, the personal reality of Jesus is that because he is the Savior who came to restore brokenness, to remove sin in this broken, fallen world, He can be moved with anger at leprosy and sickness. And he can be moved by compassion towards the person at the exact same time. So his anger in his heart towards leprosy and compassion on the man. And no one touches a leper, but you should be really thankful Jesus does. They would have been yelling. He's reaching out his hand. They would have been saying, Jesus, don't touch him. You'll be unclean. And he's reaching. And the disciples, Beth mentioned it this week when we were looking at this verse. She said the disciples must have been cringing all the time around Jesus. That's so true. That Don't touch him, Jesus. You will be unclean. And he touches the leper. And the curse is reversed. Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. Jesus says, I will be clean. The words that every leopard longed to hear by Jesus. Jesus did what the law could not do. He brought healing and cleansing saving. You come to Jesus and you bring your worst and he touches you and you're cleansed. Oh, how we should steadily, consistently, regularly keep coming to Jesus. We may not have a skin disease of leprosy, although I would have begged for his touch when I had shingles a month ago. But our inward disease is far worse. Our inward disease is far worse. Yet Jesus comes to us in our sinful brokenness. And through his perfect life, perfect death on the cross, he offers us cleansing. He offers us forgiveness. He takes the punishment that we deserve so that we can be treated like him, a son of God, fully loved and accepted in God. He takes our place. Look at verse 45. He told, remember he told the leper, don't tell, don't tell. But the leper went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. 
so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus now experiences what the leper was experiencing. He's now unable to go where he wants. He's now put out in desolate places. People were coming to him, so there's a slight distinction here. But the leper's free now to go anywhere. And what you see is the beauty of Jesus taking our place, willing to step into your life, bear the burdens you bear, take the sin you sin, offer forgiveness and cleansing, personally know your needs, personally restore you like he did Peter's mother-in-law, and take our place. And he heals with a touch. He knows your need. He's intimate with the Father. You can now enjoy that same intimacy with the Father. He was condemned for your sins and my sins so that we could be no longer under condemnation. So I, I pray you come to know and learn and enjoy, and I pray this for myself as well, this personal Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you do not stand far off from us. Thank you that by your spirit, you draw near. Thank you that by your power, you can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can forgive us from all sin because of your work on the cross. And thank you that through you, Lord Jesus, we have been brought to God. And that you have given us gifts and you will strengthen us for holiness every day. We look to you, Lord. We need you. Oh, how we need you. And we pray that you will now magnify your name in us as we worship you and as we go from this place here later to live lives in this world that reflect your goodness, that reflect your personal love for the world, even in its brokenness and in its fallenness and your faithfulness to restore. We love you, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name.